Praise him in this place today. Yes, Lord, you are Jesus Messiah.
above all names, Jesus. And we praise you today, Father God. Hallelujah. Thank you, God, for all you've done in our lives today.
God is great. Would you say amen today? Amen. amen to that, huh? We could sing literally all morning of the greatness of God. Praise, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Well, we're going to take a few moments and greet each other. Some of you maybe weren't here last week, our first Sunday of 2023, so you haven't literally seen somebody since last year. So let's take a couple minutes and let's greet each other today. God bless you guys. Well, good morning. Good morning, Praise Assembly. Good to see everyone here today. I'm going to try some reverse psychology. I'm going to try some reverse psychology. I'm going to see if it works. If you are a guest with us today, do not fill out this Connect card. Don't fill it out. Do not bring it to the lobby so we can give you a gift. And so I'm going to do that. Maybe I think that will, that will you'll, he'll, you'll think as a guest, he can't tell me what to do. He doesn't even know me. I'm going to fill that thing out. And so, really, sincerely, if you're a guest here today, we'd love it if you would fill that out for us and uh, let us know about your, your visit with us today. And I hope it's a, a great one in every way. And thank you for taking time to be with us at Praise Assembly today. We want to receive our morning uh, tithe and offering. And so as the ushers come, I want to read a passage of Scripture here. In uh, the book of Matthew, chapter 6, 24, it says, No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And uh, that's really one of the purposes of giving is to be able to help us be able to be devoted to one and despise the other. Lord, thank you that we get to be devoted to you. You are worthy of our um, affections. You are worthy of our love, our devotion. And I pray that this offering today would reflect that in every way. In Jesus' name, amen. Command 
some announcements and before we get into the announcements we have a video uh, for our next um, women's Bible study coming up so check that out have you ever felt overwhelmed or like your life was so stress-filled and stressful that you just you couldn't even enjoy your life anymore what if I told you there was a little secret there is something that the Jewish people have been doing for years and centuries. There's a discipline that is a regular part of their lives that has caused many of them to be able to steer clear of the stress-filled existence that many of us, you and me, often are accustomed to. I want to tell you about that secret. We will always be drawn to overdo things, and God knows this. This is why He puts boundaries in place. They are a gift to us. 
We are now completely free, standing in the Shabbat space of God, the margin that God has given us so that we can experience the freedom that God has come to give all His children. It's going to be a journey through the scriptures that is going to help us to enjoy life the way God always intended. All right, we have our our first meeting for 2023 for the ladies, women of praise, January 14th at 9 a.m. Make sure you're there. Make it a priority. Put it in your calendar. Put it on a yellow sticky note. Be there that day. Several other announcements we have coming up. On the 11th, if you, if you noticed when you came in the lobby today, um, on the 11th is our Chick-fil-A night. And so please sign up for that. Fill out you know, what you want to get that night. Come a little early to church. We're going to be serving in the cafe. It's going to be a great night. I mean, Chick-fil-A. I shouldn't have to say any more than that. So that's the 11th. Again, please sign up. Put your orders in that clear glass jar in there. We'll make sure to get those ordered and have your sandwich ready or sandwiches ready for you that night. Uh, we also have um, our new Bible study coming up on Wednesday night, Gaining and Maintaining Financial Stability, beginning on January 18th. So that'll be uh, uh, called Balance. That'll be coming up soon here on the 18th. The 21st will be our, uh, men, uh, our men's honor-bound meeting, our breakfast that morning at 8 a.m. Guys, make sure to come out there. Bring someone with you from work, a relative, your older sons. Bring them out that day. It'll be a great time. And then on the 22nd, we have kind of a dual threat morning because we're going to be having our GMA um, presentations. We're also having um, our National Rural Rangers director, Carl Fleick, here. And uh, he's a German guy, so you know it's going to be good. And uh, so that's happening on January 22nd. Don't miss that. We have some young men that are going to be getting their gold medal of achievements, so we're going to celebrate with them that day. Again, make sure you get one of these. If you didn't get one on the way in, get in the way out, put it in your Bible, put it somewhere in your fridge so that you know the things that are coming up. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Pastor Hans Fate. With Germans, they try to stick together. Keep an eye on them. Hey, a couple other quick things. You know, Chick-fil-A, if you're a Christian, you should be eating Chick-fil-A on a regular basis. Uh, in fact, you know, you know they're closed on Sundays, but we'll have it here Wednesday fresh. So sign up today, last chance. Uh, also, we do have some calendars. If you didn't get a calendar yet for this new year, they're at guest services, just... Take what you'd like. And then right in the middle, you all saw the lost and found, right? All those clothes and some Bibles that nobody cares about. The Word of God is out there. Um, take, take them home with you, okay, today, because uh, today is the last opportunity. I'll give you a heads up. Next week, we're going to have trophies out there. And if you'd like a trophy, these are mostly earned by our softball team from past years. But if you see a trophy you want out there and you want to honor yourself, take it home next week. We'll have it out there. Seriously, we're going to have trophies to give away. So, <laughs> so happy new year. Yeah, I mean, I can't believe it. Doesn't January 1st seems like a month ago because we had that gorgeous March weather last week. Wasn't that nice? I mean, we hit the new year and it was 50, 60. It was like, wow, that's my kind of, that's my kind of winter. I thank God for global warming. I hope, I hope these crazy scientists and I hope the media's right. I really do because I don't want to move to Florida. I like it here in Delaware, but I would like more summer during the winter. Oh, my goodness. That reminds me of Olaf, right? He sings that song about summer. I might do that for you next week. In summer. I love that song. That is so good. Anyways, 
All right. <laughs> a new year, 2023. And I want us to begin this morning by doing what many businesses do at this time of year. And that is that we need to take inventory. I mean, it's already happening. I've seen them at Costco and in some of the food stores. The guys are there with their little guns and they're, they're doing their inventory. I want us to do a spiritual inventory or a spiritual assessment of our lives over the next several weeks. And what we're going to do is examine five primary functions or purposes of the church. And because we're part of the church, there are five areas of personal assessment for each one of us individually. And these five areas that we're going to look at in these five Sunday mornings are going to be concerned with connecting, that's today, worshiping, growing, serving, and going. And so again, today we're going to begin with connecting. And one of the reasons that I believe that this topic is so timely this morning, connecting with one another, is because it wasn't all that long ago, folks, that we were hindered in our ability to connect with one another. Because of the COVID pandemic, remember, we were forced to distance ourselves, to cover our faces, and to not spend much time conversing or connecting with others outside of our immediate family. It was a difficult time. And I got to tell you, I do not hold on to pain. I don't, my, my memories of painful events fade pretty quickly. But I was putting this together, boy, it just became fresh. And I did, you know, it was one thing, the mass, the mass, the one thing about that is you just kind of felt trapped. You're breathing the same recycled air. Of course, I use a lot of mints, so it was always, always had this pine tree in my mask. But you know, the thing that bugged me most is I couldn't see your smile. I couldn't see your face. And I knew you couldn't see mine. That really bothered me. That was psychological trauma. It really was. And I've forgotten most of that. But thankfully, you know, we are. We're back to being able to enjoy one another, to once again feel part of a church family, to share with each other. I mean, the greeting time, we had a countdown video. We had a welcoming video. And you guys still wouldn't sit down and be quiet. I mean, that tells you where we're at. We like to connect. And yet, you know, too, I, I do, I, I sometimes wonder, and I was, I thought about it during the pandemic, didn't want to say anything. I, I think now I can do, I can do this. But yeah, I think there were some people during the pandemic who actually enjoyed the idea of distancing. I really do. I, I learned during 2020 and most of 2021 that not everyone likes the day-to-day hubbub of, of everyone in their face, getting together, having to interact with others. I mean, some people are extreme introverts. And I think they really enjoyed going places and not being noticed. Um, but anyways, I want to show you a video, uh, a funny parody of how some people just don't want to be connected and they want to keep it surface level. They like things shallow. Let's go ahead and show the video. Are you tired of small groups always getting into your business, trying to get you to share your feelings, discuss your past, confess your sins? Are you just looking for a place to kick it, network, maybe get some free grub? Me too. That's why I created what I believe to be the world's first openly shallow small group. We're not here to deal with messy stuff like feelings and emotions. You got problems? You deal with them. You're an adult. Life ain't easy. So stop the pity party. We all have our issues. We don't really want to do life together. Frankly, at shallow small group, we try not to do much of anything at all. You'll never hear us use the term, unpack that thought. We're sure it's packed away for a really good reason. And you'll never hear us use the term accountability unless you're talking about someone who deals with numbers. Hey dude, thanks for doing my taxes. You have great accountability. 
and spiritual growth. Who wants growth? I had a growth removed last week. It wasn't pleasant. There's no pressure here to remember each other's name. What's going on, buddy? Oh, hey, man. How's it going? That's cool. Good. Oh, dude. Captain, what's going on? We know you have a name, and that's the important thing. Group discussion? You got tickets to the big game? Sweet. Let's spend some time on that. Oh, you and your wife are struggling financially? There's tension in the relationship? Uh, that's not really the vibe we're going for. We avoid conflict like the plague. Who wants cake? <laughs> Come on and get it! And there will never, ever be an awkward silence. That's our guarantee to you. We hate bad theology as much as the next guy, and we know the surest way to prevent bad theology is to avoid theology altogether. And outreach? This is the only outreach you'll ever have to do. Some people say we're superficial, but hey, the word supers and superficial. I mean, who doesn't want to be super? Shallow small group, because when things get too deep, people drown. Won't you join us? I mean, that was funny. The truth is that we sometimes do get tired of people, people getting too close to us, getting into our business, as he said. And, and, and the ultimate truth, though, is that no man is an island. That's reality. And we do, in fact, need each other. And if you don't feel that way today, there will be, I promise you, in your lifetime, there will be a time when you're going to wish you had somebody by your side. We have, we, we have a need to know others. And we have a need to be known by others. Let's take a look at Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 9. It says, two are better than one because they have a good return for their work. If one falls down, his friend can help him up. But pity the man who, has, who, who falls and has no one to help him up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered... Two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. What a tremendous passage. And you know, that's one that I, I oftentimes use at weddings. In fact, it was read at, um, at Vinny and Sarai Pereno's wedding back in July. But this is a passage that can be used in, in several different contexts because it speaks of the value of connection and cooperation. And, and, and then it even goes further and it states the superiority of a connection where the Lord is part of that process. When he is the third cord in that relationship, when he is the third cord in that, in that strand, the third cord in that relationship. Two are better than one, it says. But a threefold cord, a three-stranded cord is best of all. Please note, this is by design. This is by design. God has made it this way. We need each other and we need God in our lives together. Anything less than we find ourselves in want. We become lacking. We, we might find ourselves hurting. You know, it's been said the five greatest needs of the human personality are significance, right? Support, stability, stimulation, and self-expression. We all have those basic needs. And you know what? Getting connected to a church family best satisfies those needs. It can happen right here. And of course, we can, we can see that from the first hours and the first days of the, of the, of the new church in, in the book of Acts as we read it. And it's the second chapter of Acts 
where we can pick up reading at the conclusion of Peter's message to the crowd that assembled there. This is Acts chapter 2, verse 41. Look at this. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day, the first day of the church's existence. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together. They had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God, enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now notice here the idea of being connected, of coming together on a daily basis, whether in the temple courts or in each other's homes, celebrating together, worshiping together, learning together, doing almost everything together. And a common theme that runs throughout all the New Testament, and particularly the book of Acts, as well as the other epistles, is the idea, the concept of one another. One another. Not self. Self is, self is dealt with in the Bible. But it's all about one another. And you know, there are at least, there's somewhere between 50 and 100 references in the New Testament alone concerning the New Testament church, of course, of their involvement with one another. You read that phrase over and over. Start writing the book of Acts and you read it over and over. Here are a number of them. I'm just going to give you a sample from the New Testament. And these are, I mean, I didn't, I didn't, I'm not giving you the reference for each one, but just trust me, they're there. The Bible says in the New Testament to be devoted to one another, to live in harmony with one another, to love one another, to stop passing judgment on one another, to accept one another, to instruct one another, to greet one another, to agree with one another, to serve one another, to bear with one another, to be kind with one another, to be compassionate with one another, to submit to one another, to forgive one another, to admonish one another, to encourage one another, and to offer hospitality to one another. I mean, just look at that list. Hopefully, we're involved in several of those on an ongoing basis as a fellow disciple of Jesus Christ. And then here's one from Hebrews 10, verse 24. And let us consider how we may spur one another, spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching, the day being the return of Christ. You see, we need to value one another. We need to value and appreciate the connection that we can have with one another. And just for a moment, let's consider these verses, okay, from the book of Hebrews, and ask, we need to ask the question, why would, why, would that, why would those couple of verses need to be written? Why were they written? Why would some people 2,000 years ago decide to give up meeting together? Think about it. I mean, today we've got tons of distractions. There's, there's, a, there's a myriad of things that we could do on a Sunday morning. I mean, some as mundane as maybe grocery shopping or in the summer mowing the lawn which I think God ought to come before those, but, you know, sometimes that's a real excuse for some people. I, I, I really need to get grocery. No, you go after church. I mean, I don't want... But back then, back then, really, why would people 
have forsaken coming together. New Testament times. Why was, and, and why was this such an important issue that we see it written down by the author, who, whoever wrote the book of Hebrews? Now, I know, I know that we should come together. I fully understand that we need each other in order to develop and to mature in the Lord. But why would some people not care? Well, you know, 2,000 years ago, it might have been because of a fear of persecution. That, that very real. There might have been incredible pressure and ridicule from family and townspeople towards those who had become Christians. And it still, still happens in places in the world today. Even the threat of death. Christians in countries like Iran and North Korea, they take great risks to gather together. And in fact, North Korea in particular, even to talk to another person about Jesus could mean death. That's incredible. But there are many places in the world where there's a great hunger for fellowship because it's forbidden. And then, as I said, even great danger. And so that may be one of the reasons that people in the first century avoided congregational fellowship because it might mean arrest, torture, and death. It might be very legitimate. But, you know, I also wondered, could it, could it be for the same reason uh, that some of us would have today? Could it be for a more casual and benign reason? In other words, like something like laziness or lack of desire, lack of priorities, lack of personal discipline, a lack of understanding about how important the body of Christ really is to our spiritual, our individual spiritual formation. And I wonder if some of the reasons back then were the same as ours today. I mean, could that have been the reason for this strong admonition? That there's some people who just didn't care. They didn't appreciate it. But I want you to know that just as our earthly family serves a purpose of shaping us and equipping us for adult life, so too our spiritual family, the church, has a purpose in molding us into the image of Christ. It doesn't happen all by ourselves. After all, the Holy Spirit is the one who gave birth to the church in the second chapter of the book of Acts on the day of Pentecost. And it's also the Holy Spirit. Listen carefully. It's the Holy Spirit who also places people into a local church, a local church body, so they become what God has planned for them to become. I want you to understand this. That when we become part of a local church, it should ultimately be considered the will of God. I've always believed that God plants us where he wants us, where he wants us to be. And, that, and, that, and, and, and he does that for our benefit, of course, but also for his purpose. And there's only one verse that I, I, there's only one verse I need to refer to when I think about this. And, I, and I'm, I'm always thinking about this. It's 1 Corinthians 12, 18. And it says very simply, it says, But in fact, God has arranged the parts in the body every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. In other words, if God has brought you here to praise assembly, it's by his, he's done it. He's, it's by his design. It's his will. He has something for you to do, and he has something he wants to do in your life. Now, yeah, you could attend another church. Yes, you could. But would the same thing happen there? And as I really believe, I've, I've, I've always wanted God to direct my life. I've always wanted, man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. And I count on that. So you're not here by happenstance. I really don't, I believe that you're here, that God wants you part of this family for a purpose. 
for you, for your own, for your own benefit, but for his purpose and the benefit of those around you. But in fact, God has arranged the parts in the body. God has done this. Every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. And you know, it's made me wonder sometimes, what could we, I mean, we're, we're a well-equipped, we really are a well-equipped church when it comes to people and key ministry positions, boys' ministries, girls' ministries. I mean, you know, uh, life groups on Sunday. I mean, we've really, we're, we're well-equipped. But I still wonder, what could we possibly be missing? What could we be missing out on? Because there are people out there who are acting selfishly and they won't even attend church. Okay, they can't give themselves here. They can't be involved on a one another level if they're not here. What, what could we be if they were here? What if they became part of the local church body? And if not this body, how about somebody? And know this, when people choose not to connect with others in a local congregation, you know what? They're essentially refusing to let the Holy Spirit place them where he wants them to be. It's rebellious. It really is. It's selfish at the least. And according to the Bible, it is God's will and it's his prerogative to place us into a local fellowship of like-minded believers in order to grow and to mature and to be used by him for his purpose. Colossians 1.16 says that for by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. We were created by him and for him. Not for ourselves. Not for ourselves. And yet many American believers are bought into a philosophy that is directly contrary to the biblical mandate to connect. And we need to fight that. You know, here's what Paul told the Corinthian believers, 1 Corinthians six nineteen. Do you not know that your body, your individual body, as well as a corporate body, is a temple of the Holy Spirit. This church is a temple for the Holy Spirit. You as an individual believer have the Holy Spirit inside of you. That is a temple for the Holy Spirit. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You don't belong to yourself. You don't own yourself. You are not your own. Instead, you were bought at a price, verse 20, therefore honor God with your body. You don't even belong to yourself. If you, if you are a true Christian, if you're a disciple of Jesus Christ and you've accepted him as your savior, you don't even own your own body. He has every right to you and to use you however he wants. Think back to, to Isaiah. Think back to the Old Testament. Does the clay say to the potter, what are you making? What are you doing with me? What are you doing with my life? And he makes vessels for every purpose, some for noble, some for ignoble. He's in charge, folks. He's the God of the universe. He's the King of kings, the Lord of lords. And it's arrogant for, of us, it's selfish of us to think that our life is our own. And I know we do most days. We've got to fight it. It's arrogant to think that we can successfully get along in life too without others. And I'm so glad for this passage, 1 Corinthians 12 again, this time going back to verse 12. The Apostle Paul wrote this to the Corinthians. And they, the Corinthian church had a lot of problems. 
And so he reminds them of how they need each other. I mean, these, these, these people were bringing each other into court. They're suing each other. They're very petty. They're litigious. They're, they're just very mean-spirited people. And Paul reminds him, he says, you know, the body is a unit, though it's made up of many parts. And though all of its parts are many, they form one body. And so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jew or Greek, doesn't matter what you are, Jew or Greek, slave or free. And we were all given the one spirit to drink. Now the body is not made up of one part, but of many different parts. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, that'd be absurd. It would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just read this, just as he wanted them to be. If they're all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honor to the parts that lacked it so that there should be no division in the body, but that his parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. I thank God that we are designed the way that we are. You know, basically, the normal human body. And that carries over into the church as well. He has a plan. He has a design. Everything God does has design in it. It has purpose in it. Nothing, I'm telling you, the, it's the weirdest things. I never, I never, just as an example, and this is going off tangent, but how many of you really enjoy mosquitoes? Now, I don't have a problem with bees. Okay, bees make honey. That's great. I understand that. I like honey. But mosquitoes, really? You know, is, is, is the mosquito, now the mosquito had to have been created before the fall. I don't think the, the mosquito was a result of the fall. I don't know, maybe they became bloodsuckers after the fall. I don't know, but, you know, they're annoying. Even, even if they don't bite, they that little buzz they make just, ooh, just. And I never could understand this, but I found out they actually have a purpose. Besides spreading malaria and other, you know. They actually, my understanding, I'd heard this, and I tried to look it up, and I, I, I feel like it was validated. But they're the only little critter that's light enough to pollinate the forget-me-not. Really. Now, I would have told God, look, let's create a different creature, just as small. But, you know, again, I'm in sales, not management. So, but isn't that crazy that, you know, there's, there's just little tiny flowers out there. They actually will pollinate just by carrying from one to the other. So they have a purpose. But every chance I get, <laughs> God can make more. But this entire passage, 1 Corinthians 12, really, it, it talks about design. It talks about the body. You know, can my eye really tell my arm, I don't need you? That is insane. Do you ever have an itchy eye or just need to clear something out of there? Yeah, half of you just did that now. <laughs> Another dangerous philosophy that's gripped many who claim to be Christian is that they don't need to go to church to be a Christian. 
I don't care where someone goes to church, if it's a Bible-believing evangelical church, and better yet, even Pentecostal. What gets me is the person who doesn't go to church. They claim to be a Christian. And there are people who say, you know, I don't, I don't need to go to church to be a Christian. And, you know, that's at least partial, partially true. You don't have to go to church to be a Christian. Because the truth is, going to church isn't going to make you a Christian any more than living in your garage is going to turn you into an automobile. But on the other hand, the one person who forsakes the assembling of themselves together will eventually find themselves in a weakened spiritual condition. They might drift away. They might give it all up together. They might walk away. They're going to be at least, they're going to be in a place of personal and spiritual danger. And that's again because we need each other and because God has designed it this way. And truly, the church is not a building. Amen? The church is not even a denomination. And it is certainly not millions of individuals doing their own thing and their own will. The church is a community of believers who have covenanted together to come together on the first day of the week, the Lord's Day, which was the custom of the early church. And they choose to worship Almighty God. They choose to grow in, in a corporate fashion in their faith. Corporate is from the Latin word corpus, meaning body. And herein is our strength. That's our witness. You know, just as the early church met daily in each other's homes, we read about in the temple courts, they met in public, public assembly. The world took notice and I'm always wondering, we're in here right now and cars are going by. And I heard one time that there's about 10,000 automobiles that go by this church on a weekly basis or daily basis, excuse me, daily. But for the millions that drive by churches every Sunday morning, there's got to be someone. I mean, I know they're, they're doing something else. Their minds are somewhere else. But there's got to be someone who's driving by this church or, or all the hundreds of thousands of churches in America and they have to look over in the parking lot and, and maybe just, maybe just a, a few times in their life, they wonder, I wonder what's going on in there. Or would they ever, I wonder what I might be missing. And then they keep going, of course. But there's got to be at least a flash of a moment where they wonder about why are all those cars there? Why are those people there? Why are they meeting at Wednesday nights, 7 o'clock? What are they doing at that church? And you know, that's exactly how it worked after I got saved, concerning my family, I got saved, came home. I was so hungry for the word, I was in church three times a week, minimum. Three times a week, and then some other Bible studies too. And it was just a short time, but my mother got curious, and she wondered why I was going to church Wednesday nights. I'd never done that before. I would go to church sporadically, and it wasn't a gospel-preaching church, but I would go sporadically, and but to go Wednesday nights and Sunday mornings, every Sunday morning and be excited and go Sunday school before Sunday morning and Sunday night service. And I mean, she really was curious. I mean, I, I know my mother. She figures I got to see this girl that he's going to church for. So she wanted to know what the attraction was. And she came and the pastor preached. And at the end, he had an altar call for salvation. She went up and accepted Jesus as her savior. So then the next Sunday, we're both going to church together. And the Wednesday night, she came to Bible study with me. And the next Sunday after that, and then my sisters are like, our mother doesn't go to church at all. You know, I was raising a family where they dropped the kids off at church so mom and dad could have some time together. 
So now mom's coming to church with me all the time. So my sisters decide they have to come and check this out. At this point, there's got to be more than just a girl there. And the pastor preached, had an altar call, and they came to the altar and got saved. That's how it works. They came out of curiosity. It wasn't the cars in the parking lot. It was our own lives hopping in a car and going to the church parking lot. And believe it or not, your consistent attendance, consistent, key word, all by itself is a witness to those around you. Actions do speak louder than words, don't they? And how I wish, I sincerely wish that all Christians everywhere would understand that. Understand the power of unity. It, it, it really makes an impression. Because I have been by churches where there's just a couple cars and you don't wonder what's going on in there. Unity is powerful. It's been proven in secular history. And not to bore you with that, but I, I can't help but think of the, uh, the, the hugest war in the history of mankind, I believe, would be World War II. And the Allies, we, we gained that victory. We brought freedom to Europe because of a unified response to what the Third Reich was attempting. It was a unified attempt, a unified effort of solidarity at the Lenin shipyard in Gdansk, Poland, led by Lech Walesa. How many of you old-timers remember that name? It brought freedom to Eastern Europe. It brought down the Iron Curtain. It started with that. In fact, the, the word solidarity came out of what Lech Walesa had started. We never used that word until, until that event. And it brought down the Berlin Wall in November of 1989. Even in our national history, it was the early colonists, the Continental Congress, that met together in Philadelphia to form a more perfect union. Amen. It was Ben Franklin who was credited as telling the delegates on the eve of the American Revolution, he said, we must all hang together or most certainly we'll all hang separately. Unity is powerful. And so when we see around us should be a lesson to us. I mean, it just, it's, it's truth. It's just truth. It is biblical truth. The Bible talks much about unity. And we don't all have to be the same to be unified. I look around this congregation and I did a count. At one time we had like 25 flags up here because there are people from 25 different nations of the world at this church. I think now we're like 16. I did a head count the other day. About 16 different nations attend here. There's diversity in this congregation. But there's a unity because unity is a choice. It's not happenstance. It doesn't just happen because you have something, all these things in common. We choose to be together. We choose to love one another. We choose to encourage each other. We choose to accept one another. It's a decisive and intentional act of the human will. Now, of course, Satan also has his plan, and you you know his plan, to divide and conquer, right? And that's why dissension is so often mentioned and spoken against in Scripture. In fact, dissension is one of the seven abominations, one of the seven things that God hates out of Proverbs chapter 6. It's also found in Paul's first letter to the Corinthian church. Paul attempts to correct their, carnal, their carnality and, and their selfish excess because it was extreme self-interest that was diminishing the witness and effectiveness of the Corinthians in their own community. They're fighting each other. They weren't out evangelizing. They weren't trying to build the church. So there's nothing quite like self-interest that will divide a people. And just the opposite, unity, one another, helps us to be stronger. 
Well, I'm going to close. And, and what I want to do in these last few moments is to give you some practical direction in connecting with others. Okay, the first thing I want you to do is to start to think with a New Testament mind. We read out of the book of Acts. Refer to, refer to Acts chapter 2 sometime this week. I want us to step out of our culture, to not, to not act like those around us. Because that culture infects. And we're immersed in it. And we've got to avoid that contagion. We live in a society that prizes anonymity. Puts a high value on the right to privacy. Most of my neighbors, just like me, you pull into the driveway, you hit the clicker, the garage door goes up, you put your car in, you go in the house. A little while later, once you get settled, you hide in the family room or the man cave in the basement. Eventually, you have to leave your bat cave, go back into the garage, door goes up, and you zoom off again. You might wave. I got neighbors who won't wave. I don't know what that's about. It's nothing personal. They just aren't going to wave to anybody. It's really pretty sad. It wasn't always that way. We used to have porches on the front of our, front of our houses. Rocking chairs. I, mean, I got to tell you, every, every Sunday, instead of going to church, we'd all just sit on the front stoop of our house and watch cars go by. Now and then a passing pedestrian or someone on a bicycle. We were bored. We didn't want to be in the backyard. We wanted to be out front where the action was. We want to see things happen. Today, no, no. They, they go right, right, right in the house. Church houses today don't have front porches. They have back decks and patios. Hot tub. So you can get away from it all and escape people. We need to feel free to be more public because the church in New Testament was very public. Second thing is we need to be involved. We need to put out invitations. And, and I want us to learn, if nothing more, to just casually, just casually, no high pressure, how about just inviting someone to church? You know, I mean, invite them into your life, into your fellowship. Just invite them. Nothing heavy. Just love to have you here. And in fact, I've had some contractors come through in the last couple of weeks and, uh, you know, here at church and uh, invited them. Hey, if you're not going anywhere, we're here. You're here already. You can see what we have here just for... for Sake of facilities, we'd love to have you. And then, then there have been some other people I've met outside these walls. And, you know, we have these invite cards. They're on the countertop near guest services. I haven't mentioned them to you in a while, but they're out there all the time. Take them. Just keep a few in your pocket, in your wallet. And what gets me a little upset is in the last couple of weeks, I've been and I didn't have them with me. So I'm going to grab a bunch today and put them in my wallet. And they're the right size. Guys, if you have a, a, a bill fold, or regular, they fit. They fit without getting crunched and beat up. Take a few. Keep them with you. Because there might be the opportunity where somebody comes and says, hey, really, where, where do you go to church? Where do your kids go to church? Where do you? Be ready. Be ready. It's all there. And you know what? I'm thinking, too, hopefully, as they get to know you, they might really like you. They might, they might be curious about the way you live, what you believe. And ultimately, ultimately they might come to a place where they'll allow God to be part of their life. And then finally, for those who do come through our doors, let me urge you, reach out to them. If, you know, like today, we had our greeting time. There's a lot of talk going on, a lot of chatter. That's great. And if you're sitting near someone and they don't seem to know anybody, maybe you've not seen them recently and you're not familiar, would you go over and just welcome them? Do that. You know, there's, there's three pastors on staff. We can't, we can't cover the whole 
the whole congregation. Just welcome them. Don't be shy. This is your house. This is your spiritual home. And as a good host, it's your responsibility to make them feel welcome. Invite them back next Sunday. Tell them to come at 8.30 and get a free cappuccino or hot chai latte or cold Vietnamese or whatever. You know, just bring them over there. Get to know them. We are a very friendly church. And I've heard that all, all over the years. I've heard that. People come in now and then someone will just say, man, this is a really friendly church. In fact, years ago when I taught at what is now Rowan College over in New Jersey, uh, once a semester I'd, have the stu- I'd invite my students over and they would come. And I had them fill out a form for me, like, what do you think of our church? You know, the physical, the social. And one of the complaints they had is the people are too friendly. Honestly, they wrote this time again. People are too friendly. I loved it. And I know I still have those filed away somewhere. And it's not just how friendly we are to each other. The real issue is, is it easy for newcomers to make friends? So I want to urge you and remind you to reach out to them. One final verse, and then we'll close. Ephesians 1, verse 22. And God placed all things under his feet, speaking of Jesus Christ, and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. We were designed to be connected to one another. And of course, with Christ, a threefold strand. We are his body, parts of his body, and he is our head. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you, Lord, for this time together. Lord, I thank you for this this very important word about being connected. I thank you for the friendships that we have in this family. And Lord, I pray, God, that we would do our best to invite others to find what we've found, forgiveness in Christ, a real love of God and from God. And Lord, that we'd also invite people to become part of a local church family, to make friendships, to make relationships, to make connections. Lord, I pray that you would use us, Lord, as we've heard your word today, help us to be like that New Testament church, always reaching out, always desiring connection. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now this morning we're going to celebrate communion and I want us to reflect upon the first moment of the church's existence. The Holy Spirit had baptized the apostles with his power. Peter preaches a powerful and convicting message. And I want us to refer back to Acts chapter 2 again. And we're going to pick up following his anointed message. This is Acts chapter 2, verse 37. It says, When the people heard this, Peter's message, they were cut to the heart. And they asked Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise belongs to you and your children and to everyone who's far off, to everyone whom the Lord our God will call to himself. And with many other words, he testified and he urged them, be saved from this corrupt generation. Those who embraced his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to the believers that day. And so the church began with 3,000 people that day. And then watch what happens next. And it serves as an example to us for what the church should look like today, I believe. Beginning in verse 42, it says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship 
to the breaking of bread into prayer. Breaking of bread is fellowship and prayer. A sense of awe came over everyone and the apostles performed many wonders and signs. All the believers were together. They were together. They were connected. And they had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods they shared with anyone who was in need. With one accord, they continued to meet daily in the temple courts to break bread from house to house, sharing their meals with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God, enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to the number daily those who were being saved. We'd read that a moment ago. They were connected. They were breaking bread together. And that's exactly what Jesus did with his disciples on that night before he prepared to give his life. He broke bread with them. They celebrated the Passover together. And that's what we want to do today is we remember what Jesus did for us. To break bread together. To share in, in remembering and, and honoring our Lord's Last Supper. So let's take the bread first. Father, we thank you, Lord, for the bread of life. Jesus Christ, your Son, sent to this earth to live among men to die for men, to be raised from the dead. But Lord Jesus, you willingly offered yourself. You were obedient to the Father. And you gave yourself for us. And so we honor you today, Lord Jesus. We honor you by remembering your sacrifice. By remembering that last supper. Even as you instructed us, do this in remembrance of me. We thank you, Lord. We ask now your cleansing of our hearts Lord, that you'd make us worthy of this supper. Thank you for forgiving us. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's partake of the bread together. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God, for forgiveness. Lord, we just thank you for all that you've done for us. You are so good. You are so good. We love you and we praise you. Amen. Amen. And then let's go ahead and take the cup. Prepare the cup, if you would. Lord Jesus, I thank you, Lord, for giving your life so that we could have new life. And we thank you for this new covenant sealed with your own blood. And Lord, again, today we do this in remembrance of you, of all that you've done for us. Thank you for new life through your sacrifice. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's partake of the cup together. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, Lord. God, we love you and we honor you today, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you for, for cleansing us of all sin, Lord. Thank you for the promise of eternal life. Thank you for the relationship we can have with you. And as we learn today, the relationship we should have with one another. Lord, I pray your blessing now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's stand together. Father, I pray that you'd bless your people, Lord, as we leave this place. Use us for your purpose and for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.